I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Happy Mama Movement podcast. I'm Amy Taylor-Kavaz. I would like to start by acknowledging the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation on which this podcast is recorded as the traditional custodians of this land and pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. And as this podcast is dedicated to the wisdom and knowledge of motherhood, I would like to acknowledge the mothers of this land, the elders, their wisdom, their knowing, and my own elders and teachers. Welcome back, everybody. And welcome to this special podcast for International Women's Day 2023. As you will hear in a moment, I wanted to speak to somebody who would challenge my thinking on this day. I wanted to check in to different experiences of being a woman and a mother in 2023 and bring to you a conversation I hope is not predictable is not saying the same things we say every year around these issues of equality. And so I would love to introduce you to my amazing friend, Yemi Penn. Yemi is a global thought leader and PhD candidate on the transformation of trauma, looking at non-Western and alternative ways of healing. She fuses her engineering profession with her creative research to evoke radical change in communities and organizations. Her first documentary, which I saw and was blown away by, which she called Did I Choose My Trauma, was a finalist in the 2021 Sony Film Festival for Australia and New Zealand short film category. She has since been invited to speak on the TEDx stage in Florida, where she invited the collective to make the choice to transform their trauma as opposed to transfer it, which I think is a beautiful basis as an introduction to the conversation that you're about to hear us have. I hope it inspires you to look at how we can all do this together on this International Women's Day. Welcome everybody. You are about to listen to a conversation with one of my favourite people on the planet, Yemi Penn. When I was thinking about a podcast for International Women's Day, my intention was to really bring a conversation to this community and this space about how are we going really on this day? Uh, what are the issues and topics we should be knowing about, we should be talking about, 
through the lens of both motherhood, because obviously this podcast is for mothers mostly, but also on a greater scale and topics and issues that maybe I am not aware about spaces that I don't have conversations. And so the person that came to mind immediately was my beautiful friend, Yemi, because Yemi as both a woman, a mother, a businesswoman, and an activist, I respect your opinions so much. You have taught me a lot about what I need to know and how I can do better. So thank you for stepping into this space with me and with our divine community of mamas around the world on International Women's Day. Oh, if people cannot see my smile, I want to describe my smile as literally going from ear to ear because what you don't know, Amy, is that I've been watching what you've been putting out and literally within the past three weeks thought I'd love to have a conversation with her again. And I know that we have our own beautiful friendship and journey. So when I say this is an honour and a privilege, I'm not just saying it because it's nice. It, it feels like I might have been... Um, conspiring in the background so thank you thank you thank you so much for the platform yeah so you're welcome and thank you for saying yes because you are in demand this month around this international women's mm. events and speaking so ladies and gentlemen this yeah. is a privilege to have Yemi for, with us for a moment so let's just start broadly you know yeah. you are being asked to speak on stages around Australia at the moment for International Women's Day this month how are you feeling about what it, the conversations are? Who's in the room? How does it feel? My goodness, I didn't know that would be your first question, but I'm so glad it is because I need to just let it out. The journey of how I'm feeling has changed over the past three weeks. Um, extremely nervous um, to the point of feeling sick has been the thoughts because I like to think about my content I really like to get involved I like to think about the audience but I keep on saying but haven't given it language that this year feels different and I know we tend to all say it it feels different because it feels like a lot has happened in the past year on a human scale just to be clear not just about women but on a human scale that my level of awareness of our differences of our individual struggles of our aspirations have really come to the surface in a way like no other and I think my nervousness is attached to what I'm going to say because when I speak yes I plan yes I now have this research background that is really beautiful in what I find out and what I share but I also know that things come out of me that I never knew um, I had planned and because of everything I'm thinking I'm wondering am I going to say this in a way that reaches people in a way they need to hear it so I think there's that that heaviness and that weight, as I know there are quite a few people who are interested to hear my my perspective on International Women's Day this year. Um, and then I'm I'm also conscious on the vocabulary. We, you know, there are so many different things, but embrace equity is one, and it's kind of going into my research anyway. But the vocabulary and the language we use to be inclusive of everybody is something that I am still having to learn and unlearn. And so, um. My nervousness, which is no longer nerves, but this desire to serve, um, has come up with the word grace. I ask people to give grace and <laughs> I want to receive it. And so this is now a big part of a lot of what my, my keynotes are going to be, which is let's start with grace. Let's start with the fact that we do not know everything. We do not all have a hold on reality and that where you give grace, 
is to extend that, you know, ex extend love and compassion for good intentions that let's assume the person did not intend to harm you. Mm. And that has now soothed my nervous system. And now I'm excited because I'm, I'm going to share content I haven't shared before that I've learned from other people in truly embracing equity and feel a bit nervous by this, but excited to see what comes out, how people respond, how they have conversations with each other and myself. So what does that mean to you then, embrace equity? I think it starts with self. I, I've been, this is the other thing I've been questioning. I've been thinking, Yemi, are you going into selfish mode? Because you know I love, you know, people say, oh, is it selfish I'm doing this? And I can't remember who I heard it from, but self-preservation. I'm currently away from my my role as mother because I knew I needed just under 48 hours where no one was taxing on my nervous system. I make sure they're okay, they've got the care they need, but that's what I need to do, um, self-preservation. So for me, embrace equity, the invitation is to start with ourselves, is to understand where we sit in the wheel of power and privilege and influence. And I know that a big part of your audience are mothers, but we give so much. You know, I only found the language from a dear friend, Dr. Adam Fraser, on mental load. And I know that other people use that, but it was a conversation on mental load. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's what that is. That's why I'm so tired. So to embrace equity starts with us to understand where we are in that circle of influence and power, to embrace ourselves and how far we've come. And I think in doing that, then do we have the ability to hear how we can help others who mm. have been marginalized and so it becomes into the wider group but i do think it has to be um side by side i don't think we just look after ourselves and then we we drop the mantle i think there is a part of contributing that i totally agree i said recently uh to a group of women who were really activated to do work similar to what I do in Mama Rising, like really supporting mothers differently. And this group of women, Yemi, were like really emotional about how much they want to give and how much they want to do and how moved they feel about what they see around them. And, but then when the more we spoke about it, the more I heard them not able to do this yet because they were still in the system themselves. They still yeah. had no support. They still were burnt out. They were the ones that were up in the middle of the night with their babies still and running around with nobody to help them. They were completely isolated from the support they needed. And at the end of that conversation, I said, it's so frustrating that often it's the ones who are suffering the most are the ones who are the most activated to go out and help others. Yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because that's what I was hearing you just say that we we need to yeah. be able to contribute to the change we want to see but we can't do it from an empty place either because then we're just perpetuating the same thing. Oh, so once again you've invited me to share something that I don't think I planned what I was going to say <laughs> but I'm actually nervous of when I say it, of when I say it because I think this is partly why you've introduced me to this diversity of thought like genuinely, and diversity of thought comes from diversity of beings. It, it, it feels like it's really easy, but I just have to put that out. Because what I'm about to say almost comes from something my mum said to someone else when I gave birth to my first, my first child, my daughter. 
And I think it was, I may have said this in a podcast we did ages ago, where I was going to the post office. I think it was day 10. But I, if I remember culturally, you're not meant to leave the house in the first 40 days in my particular culture. And this is similar for some other cultures. And someone said to me, my gosh, Yemi, why are you going out? What are you doing? Like, you should be looking after your baby girl. And my mum, in her most <laughs> Nigerian way, was like, uh-uh. So if she doesn't go to the post office, who's going to do it for her? And that's, that's what she said. Now, from a cultural perspective, that might, well, but to others, it might sound really harsh. But there's something that that did. And, and we can all, you know, I'm sure a psychologist or a therapist could check and say, well, that was a bit harsh. But it actually empowered me. It empowered me because it made me feel as much as I'd like someone else to go to the post office for me. In this instance, there isn't anyone. And so I'm going to do it. And I didn't, I, I didn't do the woe is me. I may have done the woe is me had someone said, oh, no, you shouldn't. But my mom was really saying, if she doesn't go, who's going to do it? And I haven't, I know. I haven't resonated with that fully yet. And, and I say all of this, and it might be, I, I don't know, I never know whether the download comes to share this story, because what I think I'm going to find myself saying again is I think we may be gaslighting ourselves on exactly how the world and systems have been set up. I, I think this is the work we have, we have to do. Um, I'm, I see a lot of things repeating, which are so close to my own historical story. And when people gasp and say, oh, my gosh, I, th there's a part of me that says, but why are we surprised? Look back in wherever you are in history, wherever you are on the spectrum, wherever you are in power and privilege. And I understand why we may not have seen it. But now we've had so much uh, reckoning, so much discomfort. Um, so much awakening with whether it's conversations on gender, race, power, that we just have to do just a little bit of digging to understand that these systems have been around for a very long time. We know the inequities, inequalities of the, what we would have called back then the typical gender makeup of a home, whether it's husband and wife. And we, I mean, we've always known, but now it's becoming you've got braver people who gender diverse who are sharing their stories. But people have been saying this for a while. The system was built like that. Now, I'm not here to dehumanize anybody, any gender, any person, although we do need to call ourselves to action. But let's first not gaslight ourselves on, on how the system has been built. Because I think when we do that, I actually think we get, um, I think we tap into some sort of reserve. So even though I'm extremely, you see, I've already got this second wind. I came to you explaining that I'm a bit mellow, tired, but when things juice me up, I'm, I'm down for it. But I also know I had to take a pause. I'm a single parent. I have a partner, but he has his own family. It, the, the responsibility is on me. Um, you know, and, and I'm hoping, calling out to the listeners here not to judge me. I've had to lean on my 16-year-old. Can you watch your nine-year-old brother? This, there's this auntie here, this friend who can watch you. I just need this time. And we've created this contract amongst ourselves. Will other people judge me? Possibly. Is it a risk I'm sharing this? Possibly. I haven't got this far without judgment. Um, so I can't remember what your first question, what your question was, but I just it felt like the response needed to be, let's be aware of the system we're in so we can take away the gaslighting of ourselves and be shocked that elevates our nervous system. It makes us more stressed. 
um, let's come to terms with it, then say, okay, what can I do? Knowing yes. I can't do everything. I've only just come to reckon with the land in which I'm on. I'm currently on a Wabakar land. And here I was coming into Australia thinking, you know, I would be one of the most disenfranchised potentially people here. And, and I'm not. And I need to have this conversation of have I become um, significantly colonized that I can't even understand when my version of history is still happening in real time. I mean, oh. there's a lot of things there, but embrace equity is, yes, looking after myself, but then very quickly understanding where I sit in the power and privilege circle. Mm. Oh, a lot there. Can we, oh, it's spectacular. Can we talk about that a little bit? As I said at the start, there are places and conversations I am not having and acknowledging I need to do better at that and get into those places where I can hear the different voices of different women's experiences. But you are in places like that as a black mother, as a mother of a daughter and a son in our country. What on this International Women's Day would you like us to know and understand about what it's like to be a mother in this country with such racism mm. such judgments mm. such um separation still yeah so i'm gonna say acknowledgement again because this is where i have to share my acknowledgement as you were talking my body started to contract mm. and so i was listening to my body what is it and i'm already having concern and holding the space for the listeners because i am still a woman in a black body who feels the need to soothe white bodies because i don't want them to feel uncomfortable by my discomfort so i'm already giving an invitation to the listeners that that's where i'm at but in saying that i can also acknowledge that um, women mothers in white appearing bodies or you know bodies of different ethnic groups could be feeling are we having this conversation again it, it really makes me uncomfortable but I love that you use the word activist for me because I know I'm firmly going into that space even though I don't think I've signed up for it um, but I'm okay with it I'm comfortable is that's my invitation for us to get comfortable with being uncomfortable but understand that it's not lost on me that when I talk about the racism that even my children and I have no doubt other people have experienced um, most people cannot hear that because they have their own trauma. And my invitation here for mothers in Australia is to look at whatever your traumatic experience is, which might have nothing to do with race. It might have something to do with gender. It might have something to do with the role you play as a mother and what patriarchy said you needed to do or not do but to look at that because it's going to be very difficult for you to hear what I have to say or what anyone else has to say. I would have never in probably my whole lifetime made the effort to look into the challenges of, or of ableism. I, I wouldn't have if I hadn't started looking at my own trauma because I still had this paradigm of where I sit in the power and privilege circle not understanding that there were other people who have different challenges to me but i had to look at mine so my invitation is to look at yours first because then you'll be able to hear what i'm saying and i i guess there's a part of me that also doesn't want to carry a victim torch i mean my kids and i have experienced more racism in australia in nine years than i've experienced in the over 31 32 years 
and all of a sudden I feel like I have to eat my words because I would go on stage and tell people that I was always told not to come to Australia because of the racism. Um, but it just took a little while and it seemed like it's come through my children. So without anyone, firstly, I, I, I've realized now that I'm not really down for the, oh, I'm really sorry or any kind of, what's the word, kind of, kind of cuddling me, which sometimes I find can be a silencer for me. I appreciate the love but I actually just want the action. It's the reason why I kick-started this um, curriculum with Priyanka from We Are The Mainstream, and it's called Cultivate. We wanted to name it something of how can we all cultivate the environment we want to be in? How can we educate ourselves? How can we increase our racial literacy? The roles mothers play is huge. Whether we accept it and so we don't gaslight ourselves, we have always been the teacher. We have always been the teacher. We have been you know, dominant been put into that role as teachers and carers. So our role must not be underestimated. But I also know that it would be difficult for you to engage when you still have your own stuff. And also let's not try to do everything. You inviting me to do this podcast could be your contribution. Someone else sharing this podcast could be their contribution. Um, you know, our our blessing and our curse is that we feel we need to be the mothers to all and to everything. It, I, I don't, I, I actually don't think that sustains us at all. And like you said earlier, the very best thing we can do as mothers is work on our own traumas, biases, stories, because we know, and it's a cliche, but it's important saying it again, they learn by watching us. If our energy changes when we're around certain people if they notice that mum's face is funny when someone talks about a non-binary person or a different colored person if that energy shift is there in mum or dad or grandma or grandpa or whatever in those conversations and I've witnessed it in my own children I have a very no surprises a very activist 15 year old who will call out her grandparents at the dinner table at the slightest little eyebrow raise around any of these topics because they're watching and so this is what we really need to be aware of that if we want this to be a better world for our daughters and our sons and all of our kids it's about getting really true and honest with ourselves about what we absolutely. carry. And that's what you do with your work around trauma. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, kudos to your 15-year-old. I mean, the boldness, the courage. I still find myself, I'm still not brave yet to call people in or call them out, depending on how severe it is. So it's a big task. But I also want to share something that feels now is the right time to do it because it's been on my mind. And I don't know if I'm going to say this on stage, and this might just be for those who are listening. It's for us to work on our shame resilience. I think the shame is what holds a lot of us back. And this is what's coming up in my research as well. It holds a lot of us back. And I'm talking about anybody on the sphere of of race or just being marginalized in any capacity. And that there's the opportunity to make change, especially as parents. I'll give an example. My daughter, she wouldn't have been up to 10 yet. I've had a lot of au pairs and I very strategically had au pairs from all over the world. And we had one particular au pair who was from Taiwan and she was with us and I've loved every single one of my au pairs. It's been a great journey for us to learn. I remember she brought my daughter into the city once to meet me after work. 
And it turns out my daughter had said to her, not making reference to race, but it's very, very close to home, um, said, let's, let's not walk together because people might think we're together. Now, the all pair knew to have this conversation with me because I make it very clear in almost every space I'm in um, that I want that I know that I'm a walking political and social statement and I will do it with love but I will talk about the elephant in the room and I love that she was able to tell me and I'm not going to bad or other my daughter it was a teachable moment she evidently did not know the history that she comes from and the reason why she has been born into a family that does not tolerate any form of marginalization wherever you sit but that had to be a moment most of the most of the kids who have um, said racist comments to both my kids only one was willing to meet with me that's where healing is only one parent I made it very clear to every school can you please let the parent know that I'd just like to have a chat and I think it was shame that stopped it either shame or genuine racism and I, I really have this true beautiful belief and hope in humanity that I actually don't think they're bad. I don't think I'm a bad person. If, you know, my daughter, I was now meant to be labeled bad because my daughter said that. Part ignorance, sometimes what people watch on TV, there's, there's only so many things we as parents can control. But I'm saying when the opportunity arises, can we step in and have the dialogue? Um, I'd, I'd love more parents to do that. And I had another parent at school when I was telling her the story, she said to me, she said, Jenny, please, if my boy ever says anything to your boy, um, please let me know. That that's the ask I'm having of mothers in particular, but parents in total. Yes. Oh, that's just given me goosebumps again. Yes, that is the invitation here, isn't it? And can we just clarify when you say in your research it's showing up that shame is holding us back a lot in this? Do you mean in terms of that situation you just pointed out with the the school mums, shame that they've got it wrong, that they have thought this way, that their kid acted this way, that they might get it wrong again, they might be, is that what you mean about what's holding yeah. them back? Okay. Absolutely. It's, so obviously we know Brene Brown does a lot of work on shame and I know we're trying to get into that, but shame resilience. But when I've tried to understand where the shame comes from, um, Dr. Natalie Edmond in the US, I've been following her work, she she shared this continuum of where you can sit when it comes to, to race in particular. And there's a bit of being kind of just neutral. So you kind of feel you don't see color, but you acknowledge race. You're not quite anti-racist. Um, you're not quite a racist, but you don't. So there's that whole line. And I think our shame, our shame comes from being there. If my son said this, I may have said something at home once that I probably shouldn't have said. That's going to come out then I'm going to be labeled as racist, even though I have so many black and Asian friends. Like all of that, we go down the shame spiral, like real big. And, and this is where we need to start building our resilience because we're just not going to heal anything. And this whole embrace equity just doesn't stack up. But we have to go and talk about those elephants first, rather than just going and, and preaching, accept everyone, we're all equal. What's the reason why we thought we weren't equal in the first place? What was the system or the code that was created for it? I don't know. Someone might say, well, it's the only way the world can operate the way it does. I mean, I won't go into economics, but definitely research is showing all of that. But this is what I mean by not gaslighting ourselves. It's to understand what it is. And I truly believe, truly, with all my being, 
parents, mothers, because of the role we have held, the dominant role we have held in carer, parent, um, we are the ones from a grassroots perspective who can actually unlock these codes we speak of to embrace equity. Mm, absolutely. What do you feel about this? Um, it would be part of that shame story, I think, about this idea of being so afraid of getting it wrong, Yeah, we stay silent. Because I hear a lot of people, maybe not publicly, but even with the women that I work, who work with and coach and support, there is, there is almost this, um, they get stuck because they're like, oh, but if I say the wrong thing because of our cancel culture and if I do the wrong thing, then I'll make it worse and yeah. so I'll just be quiet. I'd love to yeah. hear your thoughts on, on that and what you say to people in those moments. I think there are two things that come to mind and I want to I wanna give my small print. I know and my supervisors from my research say, Yemi, you're an expert in the work you do. And I acknowledge that I do have expert opinion, but by no means is it conclusive. Mm. So I want people Beautiful. to also listen to their own intuition and, and always research far. But there are two things that come to mind as to why there might be silence of getting it wrong. I think it's part of our own trauma story and therefore the beliefs we've set up. But I also think it's judgment. Um, there's, sometimes I can't believe I've actually only been alive for over 40 years because I feel I've been alive for 200. When I think of the programs we've watched, my daughter was sharing, uh, I forget the guy, he's written a number of books where they use a lot of non-inclusive words and they're now going back to change it. And this is why this whole cancelling culture, I personally, I personally disagree with it. Um, I actually think if we really were to follow cancel culture, my goodness, then let's just call humanity, humanity let's end the human species. Mm. But a big reason, let's go with the first one, trauma. The fact that we do not want to be cancelled, the fact that we might be excluded from society is one of our biggest fears, and it links to something. There is something that has happened in your life that has made that a priority for you to keep quiet versus actually being excluded. So that's the trauma he needs to work with first. Oh, mic drop, Yemi. Yeah, felt that one. <laughs> <laughs> you felt that one? Oh, I felt that one. It's that fear of not belonging. Yeah, yeah. And and there is, you know, I'm definitely not the first to say it. There is That was one of the biggest things, being excluded from the tribe, from the village. And that goes way back. But let's now even bring it back into modern times. It's still there. The remnants are still there. And it's most likely happened to every single one of us, if not more than half of us at some point. So you probably want to work through that because I've had to get I've had to get comfortable, especially as a speaker, that I might say something wrong. I, I got asked to navigate a conversation at a university that was labeled women in engineering and IT. The transgender community, non-binary community were like, well, is there space for us if you're blatantly being called women in engineering? And and I see. And so I had to facilitate conversations. Did I get stuff wrong? Absolutely. A non-binary person very clearly expressed what their pronouns were. And I was still, and this is where I talk about grace. And all of a sudden I come back and, oh, I mean, you already know the complexities of where this can go. But it, I, I'm, I'm needing to unlearn stuff because I want to honor you as the individual and how you wish to be seen. Um, but that still means I have to unlearn some of the narratives. So the whole my, my work on trauma is really part of everything I do because when you look at that, not only do you improve your literacy to be able to relate to different people, 
you actually start doing the work that can help others as well. The other one, like I said, is closely linked is, is judgment. If we have ever judged someone for doing something wrong and potentially been part of cancel culture, and trigger warning because for some reason it's the vocabulary I use, we tend to whip ourselves with the same whip we use for other people. It's, it's our biggest. I, I know personally that whenever I find myself uncomfortable about something, it's because I absolutely force someone to shred to doing that. And so I have to look at my own judgment. I have to look at my own reconciliation. And I've done a number of personal developments where I've pulled people up and I've apologized. Um, I've apologized and that's part of the healing. And we don't want to always just wait till we are going through something. Let's start reading and listening to different people and emptying our knowledge cups to see if there's something we might learn that we didn't know. So judgment and our own associations with trauma and being told we don't belong. Wow. Oh, I'm so glad I asked that. That was a, that really landed with me, that insight and yeah. that... Um, that recognition of that trauma my goodness your yeah. work in trauma is just spectacular so okay obviously we could talk forever and there are so many branches that we could climb with this but when you said at the very beginning of this conversation that you feel that this year feels different the conversations that are different that things are shifting we're in a different place than we've been before does that mean that you're hopeful that you think we're on the right path we're on the right track as humans i mean in general but also around these issues of equality I'm very hopeful. I'm so, so hopeful. I've now, um, I've, I've come to terms and stopped gaslighting myself that the changes we want for true equity and equality might happen in my lifetime. I'd like it. Doesn't mean I'm not hopeful, but I needed to do that because what I started to do was question why I was doing what I was doing. And I know yeah. you and I have spoken about that. Looking and that was that. part of the ego of, I want the changes in the world to happen while I'm still alive to see it. Mm. And this is where the cleaning of our own trauma allows us to make sure we can leave a world for those who are left behind. And those are our children, our children's children. And we eventually choose if we become good ancestors or not. So that's how I see it. And that's how I've rationalized it. So I'm very hopeful. My nervousness is I actually, um, I, I think the, the nerves, excitement is the crumbling. You know, the more I research, the more I realize everything people are raising as issues it's all part of the system that has been operating for centuries. I mean, can you imagine building this bigger pyramid and then you start taking pieces out at the middle, the top? So I'm, I'm nervous about the crash, but you and I know that sometimes that's where we've got to go to rebuild. Um, and, I, and, and this is where I love the gift you've given me because I learn more about myself and what I want to do. This is where my work on trauma of saying, okay, everyone might not have access to therapy, but what can we do? Because when these blocks start falling down, we don't want people to think this is the end. We don't want them to lose hope. We want them to understand that this might actually just be the whole process and not trying to spiritually bypass anything or not have you acknowledge, but let's 
start naming this, that not everything is going to be hunky-dory, but there's still so much hope. That's where the nerves are. Are we prepared for the tumble of the system? Because for us to want what we are asking for, equity and equality, the structures and the system will need to change. It might mean the things you got from certain privileges of just being born are not there as readily as they were before. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yes. And it is a crumbling. And it is a complete, I mean, I talk about in my work, it's a revolution. It is from the ground up. We are breaking the system and, and asking it to be made in a different way. But revolutions are... (laughs) they're not a peaceful experience and so we have to be but thank you for that reminder that in the pursuit of the change we want to see and maybe this is a good point for us to finish on for this conversation today Mm. in the pursuit of the change that we want to see for our children our children's children and our children's children's children are we willing to give up some of our own privileges in the um in the acknowledgement that what it will give to others in the end that's a really beautiful thing to contemplate oh wow you just put that so beautifully i'm uncomfortable even hearing you redress that back to me um but i'm here for it me too yeah and i hope i hope everyone listening feels that too within them today look Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I knew, I knew you were the person and the place to land for this conversation. I really didn't want to have just another conversation um, that is a bit predictable and, and formulaic on this day. I wanted to go to someone who always challenges me to look under the hood and see what else is there and look within myself and see what stories I might be holding, which you did beautifully, Yemi. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me an absolute gift because when I open up that hood, I don't realise there's stuff there for me too. So to co-create, co-find, co-heal, co-action with you, it feels less lonely. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to our conversation. Please go and follow Yemi's work. Have a look at what she's sharing and what she's doing at yemipen.com. All the details are in the show notes. And I hope that this conversation has sparked a new way of looking at things this year. Yes, this is a conversation we need to continually have, but also what role do we each play in this reshaping of the world that we're wanting to create for our children? Until next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this movement. Satnam. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.